we're on. This is the first podcast we're filming wearing clothes. Welcome to our dingy dark basement. You're listening to the Fight for Together podcast. Okay, so first off, I don't know if you guys are listening to this, you don't know this, but if you're seeing this on YouTube, you are seeing that we are doing this on video, which is the first time I've ever done this. And I want you to know how this went down was because when we were just out at dinner, I got a comment on the YouTubes and it said this. Uh, It was in in response to this interview we did with Fresh Ground. And it says, do you know what I remember about your vlog and Fontana Dam amazing drone footage? Also, why do I prefer the vlog over the podcast so much? I'm not sure. It's taken me days to get through the first episode of the podcast. Maybe I like to see location. Like even this interview, it wasn't super edited with all the special effects. It was just two guys sitting in front of a camera, but I liked it. I enjoyed it more. Maybe it's getting to see facial expressions or the person's quirks and personality. I don't know. Thanks for the vlog. I really enjoyed getting to know Fresh Ground a little bit more. SB328. So I was like, you know what? I can relate to that. I hate listening to podcasts. I don't know how people do it. Without being able to s- without being able to see something, yeah. I don't know what it is. I just I can't do it. Uh, so I can respect that. But I was also thinking, you know what wouldn't have worked is if he would have said, I, I think it's a he. This person's left numerous comments before. Mm-hmm. Uh, what wouldn't have worked is if this person would have said, you should do this on video. I think I would have been like, screw you, screw asshole. Screw you, entitled asshole. Like, <laughs> I'm already giving you audio. What more do you want? Like, do you know how much footage or uh, memory this takes just to f- film 40 minutes of video of us talking in a basement? But instead, he invited us into his head conversation. Which his, was, he shared his experience. Yeah. And said, this is hard for him to watch video. Mm-hmm. And I can relate to. And I was like, I felt bad for the guy. I was <laughs> like, you know what? I'm going to record this on video. Yeah. So if this works better for you, let us know. We're here to make your life easier and better. Because we want as many people to listen to this as possible that are interested in it. Yeah. And I don't want technology either way to keep you from being able to do that. All right. Way to, way to get things done. Comments can change the world. If done right. (laughs) If done right. Okay, today uh, we are going to talk about a podcast, actually, that we did listen to. We don't listen to many, but it's kind of our new thing. And this all started because I was listening to this other podcast, and this guy mentioned this phrase in passing. He said, you know, this philosophy of parenting where it's gardener versus carpenter. And I was like, what the heck? I was like, I need to find who, where else is someone using that phrase? So I like Googled it and out came this NPR podcast. Well, really it's this person. Um, And her name is Allison Gopnik. She's a psychology professor at the University of Berkeley. Fun fact, she's married to a guy named Alvy that founded Pixar. Oh, wow. Yeah, who would have thought? 
I read a lot about Pixar back in the day because of Steve Jobs, so um, I recognize that name. Anyhow, uh, so we listened to this podcast on our flight to Florida, and it's on NPR's Hidden Brain. We'll post the link um, in the notes. And the podcast is called The Carpenter vs. The Gardener, Two Models of Modern Parenting. So uh, the intro, they kind of talk to a guy that's a real legit carpenter and gardener. And he literally is a carpenter and gardener. And yeah, they're like comparing and contrasting the differences like in real life. Mm -hmm. And uh, the negative way of putting it, I guess, is carpentry is, is all about control. You control every step of the way. You set the path for where you want to be and you control every step to get there. A gardener, on the other hand, there's a lot of things they can't control. Some of the biggest things. You can't control the weather. You can't control the seeds and how they turn out. You can't control like what the plants look like. I mean, you can like do some weeding and you can do the best you can, but at the end of the day, like Mm -hmm. you can water the watermelon and they could be huge or medium or small and you know, sometimes you even plant certain you can't flowers. control bugs very well. Yeah. So they were just saying these are two very different activities. And this is taken from the intro. Yeah, it's interesting. The very word parenting, which seems so ubiquitous and taken for granted now, is actually quite recent. So if you look in uh, Google Ngram, it's only around the 1970s in America that the word first begins to really take off and then there's this kind of exponential increase from the 70s up to the present moment. This is Focus on the Family, hosted by psychologist Dr. James Dobson, the author of such best-selling books on the family as Parenting Isn't for Cowards. Hey parents, listen up to this. This could be revolutionary. You have to change the way you think about parenting because how many... Amy Chua ignited a firestorm by sharing the surprising details of her strict parenting methods in the book Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. And if you think about it, parenting is a, is a kind of strange word. After all, we don't wife our husbands or child our parents. What we say is that those are relationships. I am a child or I am a wife. It's not a kind of goal-directed activity that I'm doing that has a particular outcome that I'm trying to achieve. And I think being a parent is a much better way of describing what that relationship is all about than parenting, than changing uh, a child into something else. So it's interesting that that switch in some ways to a verb uh, it changes what we think about the activity. Uh, as, as, you, as you say, we don't, we don't sort of start a friendship saying, in, in three years' time, I want my friend to become X, and I'm, I'm going to raise my friend to, to become <laughs> that person that I, that I want him or her to be. That was pretty meta. There was like vlog or podcast within podcasts. <laughs> Television shows from the <clears throat> 90s. So, what jumps out to you about that? I had never thought about just the word parenting even being a newly created word. Yeah, it's just like a it's it's like a common word in our vernacular now. But that's what forty seven years old or something like that, which is only a little older than I am that that word even existed. 
But somehow that changed psychology and how, not just the word itself, but even probably why the word was even produced or invented or something. Yeah, so now it's something you could do, like it's like an Olympic sport. You can do it like well. <laughs> like if you can do fencing well, you can do parenting well. Or if you can do skateboarding, then you can get good at parenting, which implies that it's like an activity. So the things that popped out to me where they said that it's like a goal-directed activity. Like when you parent, you want your children that you're parenting to turn out well, whatever that means. Right. And she contrasted that with before you were a parent, it's something you were, versus now this is something you do. I don't know. Just seemed kind of interesting to me. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's move on to the next clip. Even if you could do the carpenting thing, even if you could think beforehand, here's how I want my child to come out, and you know I'm going to engage in this set of procedures that's going to make that my child come out that way, you would have defeated the whole point of childhood by doing that. Because the whole point of childhood on this view is to be able to bring new ideas, new ways of being in the world, new ways of understanding the environment to life. What do you think the harm is of parents trying to be carpenters? Well, I mean, it's a tricky question. I think the main harm is that it makes the process, the life of being a parent, anxious and difficult and tense and unhappy in all sorts of ways that are unnecessary. And mm, I can really relate to that. I think she's right on for a good chunk of my parenting but now that word I'm like wait should i be using that word i know every time I, for the last uh, <clears throat> week every time i use it i'm like what is it i feel like it's a bad word a now. good chunk of me being a parent there we go uh has been consumed with anxiety and just feeling like a total burden um which is actually sad for me to look back on. I mean, I, I don't beat myself up for it, but like, that's too bad. You know, I think it was, wasn't until maybe five years ago that we had like this, a switch. It really centered around schooling, but then I think it just bled into other areas and just became more who, who we were. So she's saying that this burden and all this pressure and stress comes from this certain style of parenting that we have, which is the carpentry style, which is very goal-oriented. Yeah. So we have this idea that we want our kids to be a certain way, and you're highlighting academics, <clears throat> yeah. which I think is like the golden calf of our age. Yeah, it is. And especially for homeschooling mom, mm -hmm. it's like a status of who you, you are. Because it's all on you yeah. to make it happen i mean even if it's a public school or private school you're sending your kids off right you still feel kind of like a dipshit if your kids are failing out of class like you can't brag about that right but it's not on you to come up with all of the things they need to learn yeah or something so <clears throat> what if that stress pressure i was gonna combine those two words stressure <laughs> Stripture. stress and pressure is optional that's kind of what they're saying is like yeah a gardener uh you know you don't beat yourself up if you have a crappy garden especially if a storm just comes through mm -hmm. there's only so much you can do 
and you want to get out there and there's still room for creativity, but it's a very different activity and goal. Your goal would just be to like show up, I guess. And I guess your goal is to make sure that whatever you planted just flourishes, but in its own way, because every plant has a different way of flourishing. So that's the other thing they bring up. And it, it sounds a little bit hippy dippy bullshit Shippy. to me where they're saying like, did you catch that? Where they say that, oh, we need to each child needs to like make their own impact and we need to like listen to each child individually so Which there I believe in that. I actually do too. Yeah. And I but not in the hippy dippy way. I actually think that and this was a, a the biggest shift for us is a belief that children are God's gift to us. So b- the biblical language for this if you're into that says that children are a blessing. And we've like quoted this scripture since like we were children hearing this little phrase but the problem is is when you're in the carpenter mindset i think we really are viewing children as a project and we're actually viewing ourselves as the blessing to the children like i have this i'm the woodworker here i'm going to you know your little pinocchio i'm going to turn you into something amazing or cool or great and mm-hmm. look at all the skill and talent I have to give you. And it it sounds really noble and caring, but I think it's actually the opposite. I think it's prideful. Well, what happens if they <clears throat> don't turn out the way you want them to? Yeah. That's that's where you really see like it's not very loving. <laughs> so when <clears throat> you do really believe that children are a blessing to you, meaning that they're a gift that God gave, um, and I don't even think you need to believe in God to adopt these parenting styles, but let's just say children are, the whole interaction is a blessing that we should be receiving this. One of those ways is to really uh, listen to a child and to listen to the giftings that children have in their uniqueness and just in their specialty because they're children. I mean, even Jesus was famous for all of like the religious people were all pushing kids away because they're like, we don't have time for them. And he was like, no, you don't get it. You should be more like them. And it's a really confusing, like, backwards thing in a way. But the more I have kids, I Mm -hmm. see, like, when it comes to the things that matter, I think they have more to teach us than we have to teach them. But yet we like to aggrandize math and be like, listen, little shit, you don't know math. I know math, so I'm going to teach you math. Mm-hmm. And we focus on the things that we're good at as adults, which is not hard to find because, like, you're like, okay, you can't tie your shoes. Like, that's a really important thing, and I know how to do it. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I do think having the carpentry mindset prevents us from being able to receive them as a gift. And I do think you have to choose. I don't, I don't think we can do both very successfully. Yeah. Okay, this is where... Whenever you say, yeah. <laughs> All right, back to where are we? I think intuitively parents feel that there's something that's crazy about having, you know, your teenagers staying up until 2 o'clock at night studying for their SATs and trying to get that little extra edge that's going to get them into the college as opposed to someone else. 
And yet, once that kind of competitive story starts in the culture, it's very hard to it's very hard to resist, right? It's very hard to sort of pull yourself out of it. Yeah, because you're in this culture where everyone believes this thing. You know, every parent's a carpenter parent. And if you pull yourself, it's so hard to pull yourself out of that. And it starts <clears throat> so early. Mm-hmm. I mean, this starts with, I think, with babies or even with pregnancies. We, like, want to do it right yeah everything from what we eat to how we sleep to what we don't put in our bodies is all built around this idea that i want this thing child to turn out right and i really think that instead of just looking for a new set of activities to if we, if we want to switch from this carpenter this gardener mindset which i actually think is great mm-hmm. then i think it involves a complete switch of mindset not just a switch oh yeah of practice it's like an ideas. overhaul of I mean, you have to, you actually have to believe that the gardener mindset will be better for you and your kids in the long run, too. And like, and that it's the more, maybe it's the more accurate way to view the relationship. Because, yeah. I mean, you can, you can approach a garden with a carpenter mindset and you could probably like, but then you're, yeah, get, get by but then you're under an illu- you're under an illusion at that point. If you really think that you're like yeah. basically you're God. Because yeah. you can control how things turn out then at that point. Right. And then if they don't turn out, of course it'd be highly frustrating or disappointing. Yeah. I mean I think it damages can damage <clears throat> the relationship. But sure. what is so cool about this is I actually have come to believe that the single biggest thing you can do in parenting is to change your mindset for mm. success. Not to work your ass off harder yeah. or to get better even, but it actually is a frame of mind. And I do, once again, I don't mean this in a hippie to be way because I'm not saying like, oh, just be positive. But actually, we have it wrong. It's like the second the carpenter walked into a garden and he actually realized, oh, this is not a wood project, mm-hmm. the the definition of success is different here. He would be a better gardener. The garden would start to flourish be- more. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember. If, uh, well, of course you do because we've talked about it a lot. But that that grid that I drew out once that has, I was thinking about the difference between seeing children as a project versus seeing them as a gift. Yeah. And one of the best ways I have to understand this, the best stories is, imagine like at Christmas time. <clears throat> Like I gave my son this uh, model airplane as a gift and he opens it and he, if he's seeing it as a project, he's like, oh my gosh, holy crap. There's so many pieces. Mm-hmm. When am I going to have time to make this thing? <laughs> I have to get glue now. The paint's going to get everywhere. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to turn out. And he's just like stressing out because he sees like, oh my gosh, I have to build this airplane and make it perfect. <clears throat> yeah. And I'm like, no, man, like, you don't get it. Like, this is a gift for you. I just want you to have fun. I thought you would like airplanes, and I think it's something you're good at. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it'll be really cool, whatever you make. I just want you to have fun. This model airplane is a gift to you. You don't have to do it. Like, you don't have to get it right. Uh, the, The best way to enjoy a gift 
is to be thankful and to appreciate it and to be able to just understand it. The best way to to experience it and to experience it. The best way to experience a project is you have to kind of like get it right as best as you can, but you can't really do like have both at the same time in terms of a goal at least. Mm -hmm. Now the irony is, I think when you're doing the first one, or sorry, the second one, when you're when you're focusing on it, like the model airplane as a gift, you're probably gonna make best airplane you could anyways Mm -hmm. sometimes better than if you were just like trying to focus on it Mm -hmm. which i think no that's actually the last clip i want to play hints on that was there Mm -hmm. something else you want to say about that no (laughs) don't have to play that every single time i know i like it though i want to use as many sound effects as possible okay okay um geez there's so many i feel like i have like so much going on now with like the camera and everyone's like watching me (laughs) where are we researchers once ran an experiment where an adult presented a kid with a toy and sometimes the adult explicitly showed the kid how the toy worked and sometimes the adult did not what was the toy and what happened (coughs) so this is work that was done by uh, elizabeth bonowitz and and Laura Schultz, and what they did was they showed the children this kind of complicated thing that could do lots of different things. It could squeak, had a mirror, it had a light. And the question was, would the children discover all the things that the toy could do? And what they found was that if you give a complicated toy like that to a four-year-old, as you might expect, that four-year-olds play and they find all the things that it could do. <clears throat> but when the experimenter just changed what they said when they presented the child with a toy, where now the experimenter said, this is my toy, I'm going to show you how it works, and did one thing like squeak the squeaker, the children were much less likely to explore. What they did, sort of rationally, was squeak the squeaker, did what the adult uh, had demonstrated and suggested to them. And we have a number of different results that are like this, where children are very, very sensitive to quite subtle indicators that someone's being pedagogical, that someone's being a teacher. And that has some advantages that narrows down the number of options they're going to consider. But it can also have disadvantages in terms of the range of exploration that they're willing to consider too. <clears throat> the other day, Flea, I heard about this, uh, got into some flower, her grandmother's flower, like F-L-O-U-R, flower, and was sprinkling it all around the garden which is kind of funny because we're talking about gardens and uh i don't think her grandmother was too happy with her for doing this and so when i heard about it i eventually circled around to flea and said hey next time you need to ask before you get into someone else's stuff anyways but i walked away from that conversation and realized I think that was fine, except for I wish I would have just said, hey, that was really a creative thing to think of. But I I didn't think to do that because the only thing I thought to do was to reprimand her. Yeah, it's interesting how he uses that word pedagogical, like, you know, we're the teacher. And they sense that role. And I think there's a place for that, you know, and I, yeah. I like how they're they're pretty balanced, I think, in this podcast. They say, you know, there's pros and cons. Mm-hmm. And the pros for us being a teacher, I think, are obvious. You can keep the kid from running the street. Maybe you can get them, you know, to learn how to tie their shoes and cook and do math faster and better. 
but I don't think it's a one-way street. And kind of like what you're saying is if you if we have a certain degree of respect for our children and just say, man, maybe I'm the student. You know, maybe God uh, is giving us children to teach us about him. And we're we're the kids here. We're the students. Like we're not better than them. Mm-hmm. What am I going to learn today? Yeah. Then that gives a certain degree of respect. Where instead of, I mean, it's a silly example with a toy, but I think a lot of life could be more that way. Where mm-hmm. where we are, and and I just know for myself, I had like a right way to do everything. And when I say right, it wasn't like I would go boss around other people, although I did do that too, like <laughs> other adults. But especially with kids, I thought, okay, there's an efficient, good way to do things. And given the opportunity, my job as a parent is to teach you how to do all these things I know in all this way. Of course, kids don't know that and they don't respect that. So everything's a teaching opportunity and it's a bit frustrating. And sometimes it's like, are you kidding me? When really, like, I think a lot of that was avoidable. Hmm. because kids have things to teach us and and even like discovering you know the the process of discovery is a really cool thing yeah and that was my point with the flower i'm like yeah okay silly seven-year-old don't put flour all over the garden but why not (laughs) this is the final clip I think they get it. So, you know, famously, Google gives their employees a day off to do whatever they want. And, you know, Pixar has playhouses as part of their environment. So I, I think I think the value of that kind of playful exploration is something that people say in the tech world get. But I do think it's intention with the sense that it this is so important. It has to be shaped and you want a particular outcome. So the irony is to get to good outcomes, sometimes you do better by not trying specifically to get to those outcomes and instead not worrying about outcomes at all. It's so counterintuitive, at least in our culture, to just stand back and... Yes, what they're saying is, uh, that was kind of what we were talking a little bit about earlier, is in order to get a lot of things we want with our kids like I mean imagine with a garden if you were like I'm gonna go in here and today I'm gonna make it grow mm-hmm. like you would probably kill it if you yeah. like manipulate it too much hmm. the best thing you can do for a garden is to pull the weeds water it and then like leave it alone mm-hmm. you know not to do anything not to tamper with it and it'll grow like you don't have to worry yeah <clears throat> I think I have felt like a lazy parent when I don't do anything with my kids but it actually also takes a lot of self-control sometimes not to do anything to not step in when maybe you should just leave them alone I don't know that's a really that's a hard thing sometimes to discern yeah so one of um I want to read this book the problem is I have a lot of books to read right now and write Oh, the Carpenter Garden. Yeah, she has this whole book on it, and I, I really want to read this. I have not read it yet, so... Maybe I, I'll read it first. That would be wonderful, except when we go on dates, you can't talk about it for, like, hours tonight on our date. I feel like I was <laughs> dating Richard Rohr. <laughs> dating Richard Because <laughs> uh, 
Good old Rich. Because Cammy's like, oh, and then Richard Rohr said this, and then Richard Rohr said that. And Richard Rohr. I just, I get excited when I read books, and I want someone to talk to. Really excited. And I was like, just show me your boobs, because you have been talking well, about. Whatever works, right? Well, you can't do it now, because the camera's <laughs> there. Um, <clears throat> but it's nice to have balance on our day nights. Yeah, okay. Um. But one of my critiques of this podcast or things that I wish it had was she didn't really talk about what what good gardening looks like, um, you know, which I think is important because if you're going to switch from one mindset or belief to the other, some practicality is helpful. Absolutely. So I have a little suggestion here from our little toolbox of something that has worked for us. Where is, it'd be so nice if I could just. Remember. What are you looking Dang for? it, oh there it is. I'm clapping even before, it's not even a good idea necessarily. Well I'm not saying, but oh, okay. just that we have an idea. All right. Is in a garden, <laughs> you would craft your environment. You know, you want the oh, soil yeah. to be good, you want their water to, to be water you want there to be sunlight and the plants will grow and i think kids are like that they're like plants they'll grow uh, you can't stop them from growing like the, it just happens but i think as parents one of the best things we can do uh is set up an environment that fosters the type of growth that we value so for us there's two main things i would say that we do one is pulling weeds to metaphorically speaking and the other is to put the nutrient things that promote growth. So what what does that look like for us? The weeds in our life are probably like almost all things electronic. So video games, internet, <clears throat> devices, and Instagram. Now I'm not saying those are bad. I'm just yeah. saying if kids have unlimited access to these things, if you have a video game sit machine sitting there or a TV front and center in your living room that's on all the time, your kids are going to watch it. And this is our environment. And right. they're going to be possibly intellectually, emotionally, at least stunted than if they have more activities that engage their creativity, their productivity, mm -hmm. um, et cetera. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, and these are just examples. But on the positive side, some things that we have tried that I've been very happy with to, cr to promote growth around our house is having instruments around. So we have a piano in the basically the center of our house. We have guitars out, and we really, you know, there's an inconvenience factor with having to hear music. Uh, our camera just went out. I knew this was going to happen. Okay, well, they're going to have to figure that out. Um, sometimes it's inconvenient to hear the piano all the time, but it the kids are always using it. Uh, other things are like art stations, you know, like setting up a place where there's paper and crayons and paint in the corner and kids can always just go there. And I've noticed that our kids are always pulling that stuff out and using those things mm -hmm. and using those supplies when they're available. <clears throat> but if it's like you have to pull out 14 boxes to get to them, you're not going to yeah. want to do it. Other things are having bookshelves with <clears throat> the types of books that kids like to look at or read, or even the things I find inspiring, mm -hmm. just to know, so that for the kids like just see that they're there. Letting them cook, I think, is huge. So we let our kids get 
We give them money to go get. They walk down to the store and get ingredients. They find their uh, their own recipe. This is our 11 year old and up kids. Um, but the younger ones, and I'm not great at this, but like bringing them into the kitchen and letting them experience cooking. All right. And we have a garden. We have a literal garden. Oh, that's true. Right outside our door. With, with my grandparents, with grandparents, with my parents. With grandparents. And that is just uh, so much learning goes on there. Just today, Flea was picking tomatoes, raspberries, and just with her grandma in the garden. Okay. That's that's the best I got. Trees. Trees. Climbing trees. I think are we awesome. Gotta, we got to switch topics here, but yep. keep up. That was just the last little. Okay. So um, you didn't have to put the crickets. <laughs> I won't do the crickets. In fact, I'm going to give you some. Oh, thank you. But right now, it is time for the news. Okay. The thing I want to talk about for today's news topic, did I tell you what we're talking about? I'm guessing. <laughs> See it? Uh, yeah. Okay, we are talking about this video that came out by YouTube channel, a guy named Sean Dawson, <clears throat> and the video is called The Mind of Jake Paul. It is a documentary. This is taken from the trailer... This is making me fucking crazy. Jake Paul and his family and his friends and everybody around him and everything. I can't do this anymore. What is this? What the fuck is this? Why does it have to be fucking like, wait, fucking, you can't say this. Oh, fucking ding, ding, my phone goes off. You can't say this. Bing, bing, want to FaceTime, but don't record it. Don't, don't. Like, I literally can't fucking do this. I... <laughs> I now I get it. I understand. I you know what? Video's over. I can I understand. <laughs> I understand everything now. I understand why Jake is crazy. I understand why his family's crazy. I understand why his friends are crazy. I understand why YouTube is crazy. And I understand why oh I'm crazy. Because Where are we going? Where the fuck are we going, Alright. So Dang. this this would be better if you guys could see the video, but the audio is dramatic enough. So you and I, that was from the trailer. We watched the 40-minute documentary last night. The first of like Yeah, eight. it's like going to be a long series. <clears throat> first off, why is this important? Because my guess is some of our audience doesn't watch Jake Paul, which, uh, dang it. Or some of them are closet Jake Paulers. Like you. No, you're, you're I the, stopped watching you're him. You're in the low <laughs> No, I stopped watching him too. Um, why is this important? Because this video got 10 million views yesterday. Jake Paul, whether you like him or not, is probably one of the top three to five YouTubers in the world. And if you don't listen to him or know who he is, your kids do. That's the bottom <laughs> or line. Or your kids' friends. And this documentary was super dramatic. And it's it's half Jake Paul and half getting into the mind of YouTubers and asking the question, like, do you need to be a sociopath to be successful in YouTube? And the guy's pretty, at least on camera, he plays the introspect. He's, like, asking this even about himself. Because he's a... He's a successful YouTuber. Successful YouTuber, yeah. And it got me thinking, because I've been accused of being a narcissist, which is what Jake Paul's being accused of in this. 
And I don't know. Like, first of all, the drama level of this just kind of pisses me off. Like, I don't feel like it needs to be this dramatic. And it's... Yeah, because when I was watching it... I mean, I'm not condoning anything that Jake Paul has done. But I'm like, he's just a dude, you know? And then he they kind of set him up to be this, like... I don't know, just this crazy, crazy person. Yeah, it is fucking <clears throat> story arcville. I mean, how they're just how they're making this. It's so dramatic and inciting in the beginning. I have a feeling they're going to be best buds by the end, though. I don't think he's going to go the full eight episodes. I don't think it's going to be all just really? exposing him. Yeah, I think so. Okay, that would be interesting. <laughs> because even in Jake Paul's video, he was like saying he's cool with this coming out. And has he seen it? No. Oh, but he knows what he said and he, he's got to know what other people have said and kind of like what you said. I mean, Jake Paul's an idiot and, and I haven't liked him from the beginning. Uh, not personally, but I think he's dangerous in terms of that. The number one videos for children are being made by a 20 year old. Yeah. He's young, foolish, but he's a hero to a lot of people. And, and the problem is kids rich. don't know what's real and what's fake. Yeah. You know, so in a way it's like showing seven year olds porn. It's just like porn, but on a, um, you know, a, not a sexual level, but like a dr- drama right. level. Like you and I watching Jake Paul, <clears throat> we are right off, right off, right off, right off, right off. I thought but, you, I thought you were going to say you and I watching porn. <laughs> I was like, we're not ready to talk about that. But, but a, a 10-year-old watching him doesn't know how to filter any of that. I mean, they just take it all in, you know? So to me, that's what makes and, it dangerous. Yeah, I agree with that. Besides that, he's like a kid doing kid things. And I think he's actually fairly smart at business, which is why he does the things he does, is right. my guess. I mean, I don't know the guy. I mean, I bet there's a lot of 20-year-olds out there like him doing some of the same stupid shit. But he's been given a platform like no other. Yeah, so to have that size of a platform and direct access to to your kids. Yeah. If you're not and talking with them about it. And he has a lot of money for a 20 year old. He's got yeah. a lot of money. Well, I mean, he's like every 20, he's like every seven year old's dream. Yeah. You know, not no seven year old wants to be their parents now. When they see Jake Paul, they're like, my parents don't ride a motorcycle indoors. Right. You know, like that's so he cool. He can yell and scream indoors. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so that was that. I'll once again, all these links are down there if you're into that type of thing. And I think the final thing is we are gonna go to the phone to hear you guys's questions. Here we go. Hi, I'm M. I was wondering what your three pieces of advice would be for a family in starting a backpacking journey, small or large. Thank you. Hmm. Three pieces of advice. Three pieces of advice. Uh, I don't know what they've done, but I would probably start out with like a smaller hike. I mean, that's how we started out with like a two week hike. Is that not small? <laughs> you okay? Two weeks is like 
the longest that okay, that's 99% like... of the world will ever hike. Okay, three-day hike. Start out small. One-night day hike? <laughs> day hike. Okay, yeah. How about we go like two hours? <laughs> yeah. Maybe an hour. I would say Holy get used crap. to... Are you that disconnected from hike? Apparently. I've been on the AT too long, okay? <laughs> now that's wish. a long ass hike, let me tell you. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, that's true. Thanks for uh, helping me with that. Um, yeah, I think just getting used to hiking, period, with your okay, kids. Okay, so, so start small will be our first piece. I think the second piece is start now. Yeah. Like, wherever you're at, there's never going to be a, a perfect time, a better time. You don't need lots of fancy equipment there's always an excuse you can yeah. do it in the park you can do it in your city you can do it on sidewalks but you know start now yeah what's our third piece um oh i got it okay go and by the way i recorded a whole podcast on this topic today with oh, someone else with someone else yeah and i'm gonna post the link to that because if you want to listen to like it's really like 45 minutes or an hour really just on this topic yeah and i really get into it but that one piece is when the kid breaks down because yeah. this is what happened so many people came up to us on the trail and they said the same thing they said my kid would yeah. be crying five minutes from the parking lot right and what i wanted to say was like what you don't think our kids have cried five minutes from the parking lot we went through 10 years of crying five minutes from the parking lot we didn't <clears throat> let a breakdown determine we didn't let the kid determine how long we were going to hike for generally speaking correct but really what it is like i don't think the parents are able to handle the breakdown absolutely so they're like this isn't worth it and then they blame the kid and they say my kid broke down when really they should say i can't handle my kid crying and start with that and start with that and see how you can how you can learn to deal with your kid crying tolerance or i don't know what it is and in fact like what what's really sad about that i think is a kid crying kids cry for a lot of reasons but right you know maybe they don't want to walk more than five minutes i mean sometimes i don't want to walk more than five minutes I was crying a lot inside. I was trying to get you to run today because on the Appalachian Trail, you're saying, oh, let's walk. Let's run five days a week. Then we get here and you're like, uh, I need to take a recovery day. You're Are calling really going to get into that from again. yesterday. It's not a running day. And you smoked a cigar instead. And read my Richard Rohr book. And it was <laughs> yeah, okay. a beautiful thing. <laughs> it was beautiful. <laughs> um, so... Oh, where were we? Uh, <laughs> Third thing, learning how to deal with breakdowns with your kids so that you can hike with them. Okay, yes. What I was saying was, so kids cry and they say, I don't want to do it. Yeah. Or maybe they're thinking, I can't do it. Right. And or when, I we, need help, and when or... we stop and turn around and go back to the car, mm-hmm. we're saying, you're right. You can't do it. Right. Now, we might not be saying that with our mouth, but that's what we're teaching kids. You can't walk more than five minutes. And most of these people that talked to us on the AT, that's what they had believed, I think. They're like, your kids are awesome. My kids can't. Or our kids have some kind of like super hiking gene or something. And I don't think it's true. I think your kid can. Almost all kids can always take one more step. And I think it's our job as parents, one of our jobs, is to come alongside them and say, no, you can do this. It's hard. You can cry. 
I'll hold your hand mm. or whatever. Yeah. But you can do this. Okay. Hi, my name's Laura, and I'm curious what your favorite hikes are in Kentucky in general, and then what your favorite hikes are around the Lexington area. Thanks. Um, I wish we... This can be quick. ...knew more about this area. Ironically, we haven't actually hiked a lot or barely. <clears throat> the only place I've hiked around here is the Red River Gorge. Yeah, that's beautiful. Which is beautiful. In Lexington, I was I hiked in the Costco. <laughs> For a second, I thought you were talking about some kind of like mountain that doesn't exist in Kentucky. No, it's Costco, <laughs> and it was beautiful. Oh, Sorry, no. we can't really help you in that area yeah. because we haven't done much around here. Hi, my name is Karen. I follow your blog and was fascinated with your AT trip. I first heard about. <clears throat> your family when you crossed paths with one of my co-workers up in northern Maine. But I was curious about how your kids handled the hike through the whites. Um, that's such a very difficult terrain. It's hard for adults, let alone kids your age, the ages of your kids. Um, particularly the Musilaki area. Um, also, what was your favorite part of the trail and the part you never want to see again? I enjoy your vlog, and now you and now I'm enjoying your podcast. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Um, the whites. The whites. The whites was hard. Especially the Musilaki. I would never like to see the whites again. That's that's my answer too. How did the kids handle the whites? Yeah, they did pretty well. Um, it but it was definitely hard. Uh. I, I kind of feel like it was harder for you and I than it was I know I was kind of saying I don't remember them really complaining a whole lot yeah a lot of it has to do with expectations I don't think they they liked <clears throat> I think the older kids were disappointed because the whole hike people would be building up the whites the whites the whites the whites so by the time we got there I mean we're from Seattle so it was like wait what <laughs> No this, this is Mount Washington. <laughs> oh, you mean that? Yeah. I mean, just, you know, we, we've been spoiled. But, um, yeah, I really don't remember the kids struggling, like, a ton. But I, I remember me being like, I'm done with this. And then we hit Maine. <laughs> and that was fun. Which was my favorite part of the entire trip was Maine, by far. Yeah. I would say there was parts of Maine, but I actually have a very fond memory of Virginia. I really liked Virginia. Like there was just a lot of different variants of trail there. Okay, there you have it. And by the way, we are out of questions on the podcast because people haven't been recording them anymore. And the way you can record them is you go to the Anchor app on your iPhone or little device thing. I think it's available through Google stuff too and you push send message on our podcast page and we'll do it. And if you don't do it, I swear I'm going to not do Q and a, <laughs> our podcast will be a lot shorter. It's going to be tough love, <laughs> but I just won't do it. Uh, you guys make the choice. We'll you try know? to read your minds and be like, Hmm, maybe no, they'll I'm not, I'm not playing I'm... those games. <laughs> okay. If you don't do it, I'm not doing it. I'm just going to say it. That's your boundary. That's okay. my boundary. Yep. So, I'm it's not a threat. I'm just it's, <laughs> I'm just promising that right now. Okay. Um okay. And 
that's it for today, except for we have, I, I wanted to apologize because the other day I said like, oh, don't leave us any money on Patreon or anything like that. And I realized after the fact that that could be a little insensitive because we actually have a bunch of people that are supporting us on Patreon right now. And I am really thankful to that. Yeah. So what I meant to say is for us right now, I don't want to get too caught up in driving subscribers up higher and making money come in from this because I think it will actually detract from us just trying to do a podcast well right now, which frankly involves just a ton of learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I wouldn't be surprised if our first 20 episodes like suck compared to, you know, some of the higher quality stuff that maybe even we'll be able to do later on. So all that's what I meant by that. But I went to our Patreon page and I was like, dang it, that was like, that was kind of insensitive because I really do appreciate it. And it shows like how much we've gotten over a lifetime from people. It's actually like really, uh, really cool. So I just wanted to thank those people right now. So thank you to Amy, Andy, Brianna, Carla, Chloe, Christina, Christopher, Emily, Gabrielle, Jeff, Kathy, Kelsey, Cookie Moose, Lisa, Madeline, Matt, Michael, Mike, uh, Rachel, Rhonda, Ryan, Cindy, and OK John. Uh, you guys sticking with um, this and supporting us when it's just like totally not required. It really does help us. And yeah. we, we like to keep it separate mm-hmm. for us. Like we're going to do the best we can on the podcast, on the vlog. We're going to continue to do that regardless of the money that comes in. Um, but it's so nice to look at this and feel like people have our backs as we go into like these new territories and, and, and don't have to think about money. So thank you. Yes. Thank you. Um, you, you guys can go to the anchor podcast app to leave a message and to see this podcast is going to be available like in different places. Like today I found out it's on Spotify and other things. Oh, so hooray for that. Hooray. We'll be back next Monday and anything else Cammy? Will I skew up our song? We'll see you then. Hang on, it's not cute yet. Okay, there we go. Thank you for listening to Fight for Together. We'll see you next time.